Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Thursday, August 11th, 2022. It's been 3,085 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27th, 2014, and 169 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth because the truth matters. Malcontent News has a strict errors and omissions policy because our team takes pride in being accurate versus being first. Yesterday, we reported that we estimated 20 to 50 planes were destroyed in the explosion at Saki Air Base in Russian-occupied Crimea. We meant to report 20 to 25 planes, as our survey of the airbase showed there were only 43 aircraft on the ground four hours before the blast. We thank you for your understanding. If you feel we have made an error in our reporting, you can always let us know by emailing tips at malcontentment.com to reach the newsroom. Please put errors and omissions in the subject line so it's routed to our analysts. Let's start with some assessment of the current status of the war. First, the day after explosions tore through the Saki Naval Air Base in Russian-controlled Crimea, Russian forces killed dozens of civilians in attacks across Ukraine. Second, the rate of Russian artillery fire continues to slow, with Donetsk, Bakhmut, and north of Kherson seeing the most activity. Third, the Russian Air Force flew fewer sorties over Ukraine yesterday, but it is yet to be seen if this is because of the loss of ammunition in Crimea. Finally, Russian forces made their first gains in almost two weeks, but both were inconsequential— to small villages already shattered by war. Let's take a look at some regional updates. We'll start in the Donbass region with the slovyansk belohorivka berestova Triangle. Russian forces made their first attempt to advance on Siversk since July 26th. Light infantry attempted to advance on Ryorivka, and tanks attempted to move toward Verknokamyonske from the oil refinery. Neither advance was successful. Russian forces attempted to advance through Spirna, aided by the Russian Air Force, and were able to break through to Ivano Darivka. There was also an airstrike on Vesele. The settlements east and south of Siversk experienced sporadic shelling. Let's shift to some assessment. There was a significant increase in fighting on the administrative border of Luhansk and north of Kharkiv. Russian forces don't have adequate troop strength on these axes for a broader offensive. In our assessment, One of the motivators for the increased attacks is the Rammstein Working Group is holding its fifth meeting on Thursday. The United States hosts the group with more than 50 nations coordinating military, financial, and humanitarian aid to Ukraine. Historically, Russia has increased attacks and committed some of its worst atrocities against civilians on the days before, 
during, or after the meeting. Additionally, Russian commanders are likely probing for weaknesses in Ukrainian defenses and launching spoiling attacks in the hope they can divert Ukrainian troops from the defense of Bakhmut and Donetsk. To the south, Russian proxy forces led by private military company Wagner Group and supported by terrorist elements of the Imperial Legion of Russia and Luhansk People's Republic separatists continued fighting north, east, and south of Bakhmut. Proxy forces supported by the Russian Air Force made incremental gains in Solidar, moving 200 to 300 meters west toward the gypsum mine. PMC Wagner continued attempts to advance on Yakovlivka, Bakhmutska, and Bakhmut, and tried to capture the western half of Vershina, but was unsuccessful. The Russian Air Force supported the attacks on all three settlements. In the Svitlodarsk bulge, Russian forces launched an offensive on Dacha. Russian proxy forces and Ukrainian troops continued fighting in Kodema and for control of Zaitseve. Zaitseve was hit by an airstrike. Our assessment here is unchanged from August 9th. You can find it on Tuesday's episode around the 5 minute 52 second mark. In southwest Donetsk and western Zaporizhia, the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, also known as the DNR, continued offensives on Avdiivka and Piski, relying more on artillery and fighting positional battles. DNR separatists tried to advance on Krasnohorivka and were unsuccessful. DNR military leaders claimed they had entered the settlement and there was street fighting, but didn't provide supporting information, videos, or pictures. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, did not show any thermal anomalies in the settlement or the surrounding areas. DNR forces also attempted direct assaults on Avdiivka from Mineralna and Spartak and were unsuccessful. They also attempted to advance deeper into Piski in a direct assault from Donetsk, Lozova, and the Butivka mine ventilation shaft compound. DNR leaders repeated that fighting was contained to the northwest part of Piski and was in a mopping-up operation. Geolocated videos released by Russian state media provided a very different assessment. One video showed Ukrainian positions being shelled north of the ponds that divide Piski in the town center. Russian state media agency Russia Today released a video showing drone-directed artillery firing on Ukrainian positions on the E-50 ring road, where Ukrainian defenders have held for a week. At the 28-second mark on the video, Russian artillery was interdicting the ground line of communication, or G-lock, a.k.a. supply line, between Piski and Novelsky. Our team geolocated a passenger van hit by artillery 800 meters southwest of the E-50 Ring Road Bridge. Our assessment, based on the open-source information from Russian sources, is that Russian forces have not advanced from positions established on August 5th. Elements of the 1st Army Corps also attempted to advance on Marinka and were unsuccessful. Ukrainian forces shelled the Donetsk brewery in the Kalininsky district, causing a large fire. The fire and explosion caused an ammonia leak, and city officials ordered residents to evacuate within a two-kilometer radius of the plant. There will be more on this in the War Crimes and Human Rights segment. Social media videos showed a fire in Hartsik, east of Makivka. The fire was in a forested area well behind the current line of conflict. We could not verify this was a rocket strike by HIMARS at the time of recording. Russian and Ukrainian forces fired artillery, mortars, and rockets from multiple launch rocket systems from Horlivka to Donetsk City to Velika Novosilka in the Donetsk Oblast, 
and Julia Pol to Orkhiv to Komyansk in Zaporizhia. Russian forces also attempted to advance on Pavlivka and were unsuccessful. Insurgents in Melitopol launched three attacks in the last 24 hours. On August 9th, the Russian United Russia Party headquarters was damaged in an attack. Delegates met later on the same day to discuss the pending sham referendum to become part of the Russian Federation. On August 10th, the Ministry of Internal Affairs was set on fire, and two hours later the central police station was bombed. Officials closed area streets and were searching for partisans. Russian state media claims the blasts were unrelated to partisan activity and were air defenses shooting down Ukrainian missiles. There were reports of two explosions where Russian forces had set up an encampment outside of Chonhar, the first checkpoint into southern Ukraine from the Crimea Peninsula. Social media pictures showed a large column of smoke rising from the same area as the seaside Russian supply depot. We can't confirm the veracity of these reports at this time, but considering the other air or missile strikes in the same region over the last 48 hours, we believe these reports have significant weight. Some assessment here. We maintain that DNR forces can capture Pisky in the short term, but will be unable to capitalize on the tactical gain, and the goal of securing the entirety of the Donetsk Oblast by August 31st to support the planned September 11th Russian referendum is unrealistic. Chonhar is 160 kilometers inside Russian-occupied territory and one of only two road access points into the Crimean Peninsula. The Russian Ministry of Defense should consider this a vital link to Crimea and maintaining the ongoing war in Ukraine. In the last seven to ten days, partisan activity has increased dramatically in Melitopol, while Ukrainian air and missile strikes have occurred in the same region, degrading Russian supply lines, air defenses, and command and control. Ukraine has been transparent about launching its late-summer counteroffensive in Kherson. If we look at possible counteroffensive strategies, destroying the enemy's air defenses, command and control, and crippling supply lines is the first step of a larger campaign. While these activities are happening in the Kherson Oblast, and Russian air defenses have been severely degraded west of the Dnipro, the actions in play suggest the counteroffensive will be in Zaporizhia. The goal of a counteroffensive east of the Dnipro would be to cut off Russian troops west of the Dnipro River, sever the Crimea land bridge to the Donbass at Melitopol, and isolate the 25,000-plus Russian forces in Kherson. To be very clear, this is only our assessment. We do not have classified or intimate knowledge of strategic plans in Ukraine. We respect operational security and would not share any sensitive information or use that information to make an informed public opinion. Let's move on to the Kharkiv region, starting in northwestern Kharkiv. Russian forces launched the largest group of positional battles northwest and north of Kharkiv in over a month, attempting to advance on Yudi, Prudyanka, Dementivka, and Petrivka. None of the advances were successful, and Russian forces suffered heavy losses near Petrivka. We updated the map to move the line of conflict to the south of Malavesele, based on the attack toward Petrivka. We still consider Malevesele contested, but leaning toward Russian control. We also moved the line of conflict south of Rubizhne, in Kharkiv, because the general staff has not mentioned the settlement in its reports for a week. Russian and Ukrainian sources have also reported that Verkny Saliv has been shelled and hit with airstrikes over the last week. We maintain that Rubizhne is a no-man's land. 
Kharkiv city was hit by four missiles at 4.28 a.m. local time this morning. There wasn't information on damage or casualties at the time of recording. Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery and MLRS strikes sporadically across the rest of the line of conflict. Southeast of Kharkiv, an apartment building in Chekhiv suffered heavy damage from a rocket attack. There were no reports of casualties. Moving to some assessment. We don't believe that attacks by Russian forces from Yudi to Petrivka indicate a broader offensive is starting. Ukraine has been transferring the defense north of Kharkiv to territorial guard units. In our assessment, Russian forces tested defensive capabilities and tried to create confusion during the troop rotation. We had assessed on August 8th that positional battles, reconnaissance, and probing for weaknesses would continue, even though the front is frozen in this region. On the Izum axis, northwest of Izum, Russian forces continued their attempts to advance on Husarivka, supported by the Russian Air Force. They were unsuccessful and retreated north to Bayrak. Russian forces in the Petropilia salient southwest of Izum attempted to break through Ukrainian defensive lines in Velike Komoshivaka and were unsuccessful. Ukrainian positions south of Izum experienced sporadic artillery shelling, and Russian forces attempted a wet crossing by driving through the Oskil River at Khorokhovatka and Borova and were unsuccessful. It is our assessment that Russian forces severed internet and cellular access north of Izum in May, so very little social intelligence has come out of the Borova region. Our analysts geolocated the picture of the bridge, which shows that it's been destroyed at the abutments on the west and east side. Russian military vehicles should have a viable route through Izum, east through Oskil and north to Borova. We won't speculate on the motivation of the military vehicles to attempt a wet crossing by driving through the river. The most likely reasons are the route south of Izum is too dangerous, superior officers gave a direct order, or the drivers were overconfident. The failed crossing indicates increasing stress on Russian G-locks, or supply lines, in the Izum area. No other attempts were made to advance southwest, south, or southeast of Izum. However, Artillery and rockets from multiple launch rocket systems were fired at Ukrainian positions along the southern axis. Our assessment here is the same as it was on August 8th, and you can find it in Monday's episode around the 12-minute 33-second mark. Let's shift to the Dnipro, Kherson, Mykolaiv, and Zaporizhia region. In Kherson, Ukrainian forces used precision munitions to strike the Kachovsky Bridge and Nova Kachovka. The section of the bridge targeted is a curved roadway that extends west of the hydroelectric power plant and dam. Some quick assessment here. Russian state media's lack of operational security continues to stun our team. The minute and 30-second video provided a full battle damage assessment of the bridge, showing five hits across the bridge while completely missing the dam and other infrastructure. The video showed light vehicles continuing to use the bridge, which has been reduced to a single lane. Satellite images showed that the Darivka Bridge has been reopened to all traffic, but reduced to a single lane. Russian engineers installed radar reflectors around the bridge to thwart Ukrainian attacks. However, Excalibur shells fired from M777 mm artillery pieces and self-propelled howitzers and M30, M31 rockets fired by HIMARS use GPS for targeting. Vladimir Saldo, the Russian-appointed mayor of Kherson, fell into a coma on August 3rd. He has since been transferred to a Moscow hospital where he is being treated for poisoning. 
His maid and cook have been accused of attempting to assassinate the mayor for being a collaborator. Insurgents rigged a Kamaz supply truck to explode at the Russian base at Chernobyvka. The blast killed one Russian soldier and wounded two. Operational command south of the armed forces of Ukraine reported three Russian command posts were destroyed. The command post for the Russian 49th Combined Arms Army in Chervoni Mayak, the 126th Separate Coastal Defense Brigade of the Russian Navy in Novokamyanka, and the 76th Airborne Assault Division in Ashenka. Operational Command South also reported that a Russian ammo depot in Barvinok, in Kherson, was destroyed. Russian and Ukrainian forces continue to exchange artillery and rockets fired from MLRS along the rest of the line of conflict. Our assessment. Ukraine liberated Barvinok on June 26th. The report of a Russian ammunition depot in the settlement indicates that Russian forces recaptured the village in July or early August. We have updated the map and have moved Zeleny High to contested status. We also moved the line of conflict further north near Kiselivka, which we still consider contested. Since the last week of July, our research shows that Russian forces have recaptured five settlements northwest of Kherson City. Our analyst team has growing questions about the looming Kherson counteroffensive. Russian forces have recaptured most of the territory northwest of Kherson City that Ukraine liberated in late June and early July. The region captured is sparsely populated steppe covered in wheat fields, making it very difficult to defend. The attacks on command posts are highly disruptive for the Russian military, which operates under the doctrine of centralized command. Russia doesn't have a non-commissioned officer corps enabled to overcome, adapt, and improvise if the tactical situation changes. This top-down approach leaves Russian military units more vulnerable to decapitation attacks. In the Chernihiv and Sumy region, territorial guards exchanged small arms fire along the Ukrainian-Russian border at Slovhorod, and a number of settlements were shelled by Russian forces across the international border. There is no information on damage or casualties. Back to the Black Sea and Odessa region, satellite images showed that the Saki Naval Air Base in Russia-controlled Novofedorivka, Crimea, was severely damaged by the, quote, accident at the base. Our survey counted 14 aircraft destroyed or with apparent damage. Pro-Russian sources reported that the only four Su-30SM-2 fighters in the Russian Navy, which were delivered in 2021, were destroyed. The general staff of the armed forces of Ukraine reported nine aircraft were destroyed before the satellite images were available and the Oryx database logged ten planes destroyed. A color-enhanced satellite photo showed that fires burned to the beaches of the Black Sea east of the base and reached two more ammunition bunkers surrounded by civilian houses and beach resorts. Publicly, the Russian Ministry of Defense is communicating confusion over the incident while maintaining the narrative that the explosions were an accident, no one was killed, and no aircraft were lost. Depending on the source, Russian propaganda sources claim the satellite images are Photoshop fakes. More reasonable pro-Russian social media account Rybar claimed only seven aircraft were damaged or destroyed, and the Su-24s were already in poor condition and scheduled to be scrapped. 
The Ukrainian government is using the public confusion to its advantage, with different messages coming from Kyiv. Some officials continued to claim that the incident was caused by accident. Others hinted that new medium-range ballistic missiles hit the base, while others claimed the attack was an act of sabotage by Special Operations Forces, also called SOF, or insurgents. Ukrainian advisor to the head of the Ministry of Internal Affairs, Anton Garashenko, reported up to 60 military personnel and civilians, including pilots, were killed and up to 100 wounded. We can't verify the veracity of the report, but based on available open-source intelligence, it's implausible that no personnel were killed. In our assessment, this is one of the top three military losses and embarrassments for the Russian Federation since the war started on February 24th. In our view, this incident falls in third place behind the failed river crossing at Bilohorivka in Luhansk on May 8th and the sinking of the Black Sea Fleet flagship Moskva on April 14th. Russian officials have likely reached a preliminary determination on what caused the explosion by this point. We maintain that the official position that this was an accident will remain unchanged unless the Kremlin believes there is political gain in sharing their findings, assuming the explosion was not an accident. Additionally, we assess that every surviving aircraft on the base should be given a thorough safety and systems inspection before returning to combat. With 14 airframes damaged or destroyed up to 1,250 meters from the ammunition bunker, other aircraft likely have shrapnel damage, deformities to their skin, and damaged flight surfaces. Let's talk about theater-wide and external developments. Germany delivered four more Gepard self-propelled anti-aircraft guns. The Gepard is built on the Leopard tank chassis and designed to track and shoot down aircraft flying at low altitudes. The twin 35mm cannons can also be used for direct fire against ground targets. The United Kingdom announced they are sending Ukraine three additional M270 guided multiple launch rocket systems, also called GMLRS. The United States built M270 GMLRS is the big brother of the M142 HIMARS launcher, which can fire 12 rockets instead of six. Ben Wallace, the British defense minister, also reported that a, quote, significant amount of ammunition would be provided. The transfer is part of a three-nation trade, and Norway has pledged to transfer three M270 launchers to the UK as replacements. Wallace stated that Ukraine was learning to adapt to NATO strategy and tactics quickly and has become more selective on what targets to attack with the M142 and M270 launchers. NATO leaders were concerned about how many M30, M31 rockets Ukraine used. The United States has 40,000 rockets in its stockpile and a peacetime capacity to build 9,000 yearly. At the beginning of July, Ukraine was firing as many as 100 rockets daily, an unsustainable rate. The United States will host Rammstein 5 on August 11th, with more than 50 nations attending the monthly working group. Ahead of the meeting of the defense ministers of Ukraine's partner states in Copenhagen, Denmark, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky called for further weapons and funds to support Ukraine to end the war faster, saying, quote, The more weapons, the more military and financial support Ukraine receives, the sooner our people and all Europeans will be able to experience peace and stability in life again, end quote. Social media was flooded with reports that up to eight explosions rocked the region near Zyabrovka airfield in Belarus, occupied by the Russian military. The Ministry of Defense of Belarus claims there was an accident at the airbase, 
At 2300 local time, an aircraft with a recently replaced engine was being tested when the engine caught fire. The fire spread, causing a series of explosions. The fire was extinguished with the loss of only one aircraft and no casualties. A quick editor's note, there have been a lot of accidents involving Russian aircraft in the last 36 hours. On Wednesday evening, a wooden barracks in Dolgoprutny, Russia, holding conscripts with the 4th Anti-Aircraft Defense Brigade, erupted in flames. The building was a total loss, and the source was likely an accident. There were no casualties reported. Ukrainian Su-24 jets have started flight operations again after being mostly absent from the skies for most of the war. The airplanes have been photographed armed with KH-25MP air-to-ground guided missiles designed to target radar stations. The missiles are outdated, but still effective against Russian systems designed during the same period. In response to the, quote, accident at Saki Naval Air Base, Deputy of the Russian Duma Leonid Slutsky declared, quote, The special military operation will continue. The point of no return has been passed, end quote. The Kremlin has previously declared three red lines, attacks on Crimea, attacks on Russia, and direct involvement by NATO or other Western allies. Kremlin insiders told reporters that Russian President Vladimir Putin would reject any offer from North Korea to send foreign military volunteers to Ukraine. Putin's closest advisors are reportedly against the idea, calling it a, quote, logistical nightmare. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is graphic detail in today's report, and if you are sensitive to frank descriptions of war crimes, atrocities, and human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. You'll find it around minute 32 and 53 seconds. Another video showing the torture and murder of a Ukrainian POW has emerged on pro-Russian channels. The video shows the severed head of a Ukrainian soldier impaled on a pole outside Nehirna Street in Russian-occupied Popozna. The video was geolocated. The video, recorded in late July, shows a human torso with legs in a Ukrainian uniform lying on the ground. The camera pans up, showing the head and both hands impaled. Popozna was captured and occupied by PMC Wagner Group and Chechen Kadyrovites. The self-declared leader of the so-called Luhansk People's Republic, Leonid Pasachik, announced that Popozna would likely be abandoned because the city, once home to 20,000 people, had been wiped from the map. In July, it was reported only 200 residents remained, with 96% of the buildings damaged or destroyed. In Bakhmut, Russian forces killed six civilians and wounded three in a rocket attack. Ukrainian leaders had ordered all civilians to evacuate from the Donetsk Oblast last month. However, some people are too sick or poor to evacuate. Others operate critical services such as fire and utilities. Pavlo Kirilenko, head of the Donetsk Oblast military administration, once again appealed for all civilians to leave. The Ukrainian government has been assisting people in evacuating. Residents who refuse to leave sign waivers declaring they understand they take full responsibility for their personal safety. In Stary Saltiv, near Kharkiv, two civilians were killed by a Russian mortar shell. The two were outside when the round landed on their patio, killing the couple instantly. Co-founder of the Swedish division of Amnesty International, Per Westerberg, 
has announced that he is leaving his post because of the organization's August 4th report on the armed forces of Ukraine. In resigning, Westerberg said, quote, I have been a member for almost 60 years. With a heavy heart, I am ending my long and fruitful cooperation because of Amnesty's statements about the war in Ukraine, end quote. Russian forces recorded the intentional targeting and destruction of the water tower in the village of Lyubin in Mykolaiv Oblast. Russian troops used an anti-tank weapon to destroy the tower. A Ukrainian artillery strike on the Donetsk brewery in Donetsk City caused ammonia to be released into the city. We are very sensitive to the issue of false moral equivalency. The war crimes and international law violations committed by Russia just in today's report are reprehensible. However, belligerents are obliged to take reasonable measures to protect civilians, even when attacking military targets placed in civilian areas. Ammonia is commonly used as a cleaning agent in food production and is heavier than air. Our commitment is always to the truth. The truth is, if there are civilian casualties directly caused by the artillery strike that all possible precautions to minimize risk weren't taken, and if there weren't any legitimate military targets at the brewery or in the area, this incident should be investigated as a potential war crime. Ukraine accused Russia of using the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant to launch the deadly attack on the village of Marivka, which killed 13 and left 11 wounded, seven critically. The region got no relief, with another 120 Grad rockets fired from MLRS stationed at the plant slamming into Nikopol. The nighttime attack targeted civilian homes as they were sleeping, killing three and wounding nine. The attack destroyed three schools, with the first day of classes 20 days away. Rescue workers were still searching for victims at the time of recording. Russia requested a United Nations Security Council meeting as it accuses Ukraine of attacking the Zaporizhia NPP. The foreign ministers of the G7 nations called on the Kremlin to return the plant to Ukrainian control to prevent a nuclear disaster. A statement released by the ministers said, quote, Ukrainian personnel responsible for the operation of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant must be able to carry out their duties without threats or pressure. It is Russia's continued domination of the nuclear power plant that endangers the region. End quote. The European Union released a statement on the matter, condemning Russia's occupation of the plant and using it as a military base. The statement reads, quote, The EU condemns Russia's military activities around Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which is the largest in Europe. This is a serious and irresponsible breach of nuclear safety rules and another example of Russia's disregard for international norms. We demand that Russia immediately cede control over the Zaporizhia power plant to Ukraine and refrain from any action endangering its safety and security. End quote. In the occupied Ukrainian territories, Russian propaganda is telling residents that Ukraine no longer exists and that Poland invaded the western part of the country with the support of Belarus and Russia. The fake news stories are designed to cast doubt as the occupation moves into its sixth month. In the occupied regions, mass media, cellular, and internet information is tightly controlled and restricted, making it challenging to learn about the war. Russian TV journalist Marina Ovzyanakova, who became internationally famous for her on-air anti-war protest in March, has been arrested and is facing 15 years in prison. She is accused of being a journalist who made critical statements about the Russian military and the special military operation, which was criminalized at the start of the invasion. When she made her on-air protest in March, she was fined 30,000 rubles, 
about $270, and quit her job. In July, she staged a protest holding a banner that said, quote, Putin is a killer, his soldiers are fascists, end quote. This is the fourth time Avzyanikova has run afoul of the so-called don't-say-war law. In the three previous cases, she was fined. In Russian-occupied Mariupol, the water utility workers went on strike because they had not been paid since Russia took control on April 21st. The workers claim that Kostyantin Ivanchenko, the Russian-declared mayor of Mariupol, is keeping the money meant to pay public service workers for himself. In Moscow, Alexander Timofeyev, a minister of the self-declared People's Republic of Donetsk, was sentenced to three and a half years in a penal colony after being convicted of, quote, attempted large-scale fraud. Timofeyev is the former minister of taxes and fees of the Donetsk People's Republic before his arrest. In the United Kingdom, 25% of homes sponsoring Ukrainian refugees want to end their participation once their six-month obligation has ended. 80% of sponsor families surveyed reported they had to provide aid and support beyond the official arrangement with the British government. Almost half of all sponsors had to provide financial support while inflation rocked the nation. We have some geopolitical updates for you today. In an interview with the Russian state news agency TASS, China's ambassador to Moscow, Shang Hanwei, accused Washington of backing Russia into a corner by expanding NATO and seeking military support for Ukraine. Zhang was reported to have said, quote, As the initiator and main instigator of the Ukrainian crisis, Washington, while imposing unprecedented comprehensive sanctions on Russia, continues to supply arms and military equipment to Ukraine. Their ultimate goal is to exhaust and crush Russia with a protracted war and the cudgel of sanctions, end quote. United States actor Steven Seagal has a new job as a special representative of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Russian Federation for Humanitarian Relations between Russia and the United States. The 70-year-old Seagal made a propaganda video from within the Olenivka penal colony accusing Ukraine of destroying the converted warehouse where Ukrainian POWs were killed using rockets fired from HIMARS. Seagal repeated Russian disinformation that Nazis run Ukraine and President Zelensky, who is Jewish, is also a Nazi. In the propaganda video, he says, quote, The interesting thing is that one of the killed Nazis is a Nazi who just started talking a lot about Zelensky. Zelensky is responsible for the orders about torture and other atrocities that violate not only the Geneva War Convention, but are also crimes against humanity, end quote. In economic news, Ukraine's foreign creditors agreed to suspend foreign debt payments for two years, providing relief on $6 billion in international bond payments due in the next 24 months. Ukraine's economy is expected to contract 45% in 2022 due to the Russian invasion. A payment dispute that shuttered the Druzhba pipeline last week has been resolved. The pipeline supplies Russian crude oil to Hungary, Slovakia, and the Czech Republic, and due to a, quote, technicality, it was turned off after payments for the oil were rejected. Slovakia confirmed that oil was flowing to its Slovnaft refinery, while Hungary and the Czech Republic have yet to re-establish service. The European Union and the United Kingdom have stopped buying Russian coal ahead of schedule. The EU and the United Kingdom accounted for 25% of all Russian coal exports before the war started. The Sierra Leone-flagged Rizzoni has found a buyer for its cargo of Ukrainian corn. The Rizzoni was the first ship to sail from Ukraine with export cargo since February 23rd. 
a buyer in Turkey has agreed to accept the cargo of dent corn. Shoppers in Russia lined up outside the Western clothing brand H&M and flooded the Russian IKEA website as both retailers have almost completely liquidated their inventory. Both companies suspended operations in Russia at the start of the Ukrainian invasion but are winding down operations with no end to the war in sight. The closures will put 21,000 Russians out of work. Despite international sanctions, Hungarian-based Wizz Airline announced it was restarting flights to Russia. Tickets for the first flight from Abu Dhabi to Moscow are already on sale. Flight service is scheduled to restart on October 3rd. The ruble declined slightly, with the official exchange rate moving to 61 rubles for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices increased, with WTI crude closing at $91 a barrel and Brent at $97. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline for spot market delivery rose to $3.05 a gallon. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.